0: Hello and welcome to the Friday, January twenty first, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. Support provided by New Pioneer Food Co-op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids and online through co-op card at N-E-W-P-I-D-O-T-C-O-O-P. It's only January, but already the midterm campaign seems to have reached the silly season. The Republican Party of Iowa has raised a concern about Abby Finkenauer's language in recent social media posts and releases. She's used damn and jackass. Fortunately, the GOP used asterisks rather than spell out that cut (laughs) word. That's right, like
1: newspapers. (laughs) Apparently,
0: apparently they didn't want to run afoul of their censors in the Iowa legislature. The concern seems to be a bit one-sided. While concerned about Finkenauer's use of damn and jackass, It doesn't have a problem with Representative Ashley Hinson using hell. Asked about her advocacy for the Army Corps of Engineers spending bipartisan infrastructure package dollars, which she voted against. Hinson said she wouldn't sit back and let those funds go to other states. Hell no. I'm going to make sure as much of it comes to Iowa as possible. When I asked the the Iowa GOP if we'd call out Hinson, a spokesman replied, quote, These are hardly the same kind of comments. The hell you say? (laughs) Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy.
1: Good morning, James. R.I.P. Meatloaf.
0: Yes, we should uh, observe a moment of silence. Very short. Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd.
2: Good, beeping morning.
1: <laughs> Asterisk.
2: <laughs> Lots of asterisks today. Of, I think hashtags,
0: stars, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this week on on what Iowa podcast? Um, Biden one year in. Reynolds rolls in cash. A river runs through the Henson Mathis contest. First up, the Biden presidency a year into. His presidency, Joe Biden, did his first news conference in several months. Whether or not it was the reset his largely stalled agenda supporters hoped for, they called it a Bravo performance, if only for its length, an hour and 51 minutes. That's longer than any press conference by either former President Barack Obama or former President Donald Trump. Biden hasn't lost his legs. I'm still standing, he told reporters. Given the length, it seems there's something for everyone to praise or pick at. Todd, um, how would you grade Biden's presser?
2: Well, you know, on a curve, <laughs> uh, you know, at least he didn't spend you know the first twenty minutes with a dog and pony show and then take four questions and and you know turn tail out and out the door, as we've as we've seen with some press conferences uh you know he i think he you know people complained about the length but some people that complained about the length were the same people that complained he didn't have press conferences so I was a little confused about it <laughs> it looks like he can't win uh and you know i think he actually tried to provide an honest assessment of some of the problems that he's had which you know given the, the the previous occupant' honesty is at a press conference is is sort of nice. I mean, he didn't he didn't proclaim that he had accomplished more than any world leader in a year in the history of the world. He didn't say that he had the best, best, biggest bills and bill signing pen and and all of that. And he did say some things that had to be cleaned up, and at least his folks tried to clean them up and not just kind of come on afterwards and double down on on nonsense. So. In that way, it was a break from the, the, the recent past. And I mean, anytime a president is willing to take almost two hours worth of questions from the media as someone that's in that business, I'm, you know, I, I wish that would happen a lot more often.
0: Sort of an ask the prime minister sort of thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or an ask me anything. Um, yeah, session. Um, thoughts on, on on his news conference. Did he help himself, or or as Todd mentioned, just make cleanup work for his staff, clearing things he said, clarifying things he said about it. Russia and Ukraine and and um, other other items or issues that got brought up during the press conference. Um, I guess one thing I'd be curious to hear from you guys about is uh, his plan for the second year of the president's presidency. He says he's going to get out more, get out of the, this place, the White House, more often. Uh, he wants more academics and think tanks uh, involved in the conversations. And he's going to be deeply involved in the off-year elections. Um, I, I guess I'm curious, will any Democrat in a competitive district want the president uh, campaigning with him?
1: I don't think so. I think that would probably be maybe not the greatest plan for Liz Mathis to to undertake. I mean, the the approval numbers being the way they are, the fact that um, Iowa voters didn't really uh, like Biden, you know, in his uh, caucus appearance uh, by a long shot. um, I I don't know if he'd do more harm than good, but I I don't necessarily uh, think that it would get that enthusiasm they you're looking for it would probably bring out the base you know but but that's not really what you're wanting to do especially when you're a challenger
0: tom um abby finkenauer endorsed joe biden back in the caucus season um will he return the favor in the senate race
3: man you know that's that's a good question um I think he would definitely be willing to if um, the Finkenauer campaign um, asked him to do that. Um, And as you mentioned, um, Abby Finkenauer, you know, has, um, uh, you know, close personal connection and ties uh, to to, to President Biden um, and, um, you know, uh, supports him, supported him early on, still supports him, um, you know, is a big advocate for the president and his policies. Again, though, to what to what Amy said, you know, is that going to really help her in this race? Though, um, you know, especially when she's running against a entrenched Republican incumbent who has has had some sagging and, and declining approval numbers recently in the state, but you know, still is 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 fairly popular, um, and um, you know, someone who. Um, you know, supported the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, and has worked across party aisles and, you know, has his, his, his worked to, to help advance, um, you know, one of Biden's key legislative priorities. So again, you know, having Biden in Iowa, um, you know, in a state that um, didn't really back him in the caucuses and, um, you know, didn't support him in, um, in the general election, you know, does that help Abby turn out? Supporters and mobilize her base, you know, maybe, but you know that probably is going to do her more harm than good um, in the in the in the general election. You know, it's only, I think, in my mind, you know, it's only going to embolden Republicans in this state, um, and you know, just lead to more cries of "Let's go, Brandon."
2: <laughs> Speaking of naughty words, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, and I don't know if if a Biden appearance fits in with what Finkenauer is trying to do. I mean, she's come out in favor of term limits, which is an obviously clear shot at, at, at Senator Grassley, who's, you know, been in office for a really, really, really long time. Uh, and she's, you know, she's trying to project, protect, uh, excuse me, project. I can't project, but she's trying to project uh, some youthful, you know, enthusiasm and energy and in contrast, you know, they, they would argue with the senator. So I don't think bringing someone like Biden in that's got also his own long tenure is, is going to maybe play into that. I would I would it'd be more likely to see maybe, you know, some different Democrats with national profile coming in to, to work on that race. But probably not the president, I wouldn't think.
0: I think an hour might have to sort of tone down our language. Because I think the strongest I've ever heard from Biden is malarkey. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't use four-letter words.
2: Well, he did. He did. He did have the BFD thing with uh, yeah, yeah. healthcare. So, yeah, he's, I think he's he's got a he's, he's got a salty, little salty language. So I think he understands. Aaron, I mean, that's, how talk, the... that's how they talk. they talk in Scranton. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Aaron, uh, the president talked about uh, trying to get some of his build back better. Uh, Big chunks of it passed in standalone bills. Uh, You know, looking at the first year, his big accomplishment was the bipartisan infrastructure package, which had bipartisan support. Shouldn't this have been the approach from the beginning to try and, and, you know, take this in, you know, find where you have support and and do those things.
4: Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of thought that, but uh it's clearly not the way that uh, congressional Republicans go. I mean, and we've seen this in past uh legislation too that it that it that it seems to be that they're they think it's and and I I don't know if I I might have just said Republicans just now. I'm talking about all congressional Representatives, we've seen this from both Republican and Democratic priorities, and they and they throw big packages together rather than, um, you know, the voting rights is another one um, bill that the, there's just so much in there, and some things that uh, you could probably get a large uh, majority of Americans to support, and, and but then you've got other things in there that um, um, that kind of more draws down political boundaries. So, I mean. I guess that's why I'm not a member of Congress. I've, I've never understood that that route of of putting all the eggs in one basket, rather than trying to, um, you know, pick at things a little more narrowly. So you're asking the wrong person. I, I agree. I I think that would have been the best target, best approach from the start. And you can go back to any other number of bills in the past too, and I would have said the same thing.
0: So. Uh... What's what's the consensus here? Would you let Biden do another uh, two hour press conference or or maybe do a press conference with subtitles by his com- communication staff?
2: Well, maybe do, you know, an hour, you know, more often. I don't know if we need two hours, but uh, I was just going to say, like, yeah, if you do them a
4: little more regularly, then the then the, the White House press corps won't be starving for something that could last two hours. So, uh <laughs> Uh, Just just kind of pop in every once in a while here, and then maybe half hour to an hour will be enough. Oh,
0: I don't think the the press car will run out of questions. No,
2: that's that's true.
0: Moving along here, the money campaign. Governor Kim Reynolds is crushing it, at least in fundraising for her reelection, which we expect she will announce sometime before June 7th. She uh, told me uh, yesterday (laughs) that uh, she's focused on her legislative agenda. There's always time for that other stuff later. Um, so I guess ignore the campaign appearances, ignore the, those emails from the campaign um, until after the legislative session. Uh, but back to the numbers, Aaron, how big or bad are the numbers uh, for the gubernatorial candidates?
4: Um, I, I don't know that I know the adjectives to um, fully describe Uh, what we saw when those reports filed on Wednesday. I mean, this is remarkable. Um, I mean, governor Reynolds did well, and that's not shocking or surprising. It raised, um, almost 4 million in the year and has almost 5 million in her account. That's that, that doesn't bat an eye, but, but what's just staggering, um, is the, the lack of democratic fundraising in that race for anyone. Um, but, uh, so you look at Deidre DeGere, um, who is the highest profile candidate left in that democratic primary, she raised 280,000, which is, which is not a big number. And she spent most of it running her campaign. She finished the year with only 8,500 in her campaign account, which is just a, a, a just shockingly low number, um, going into the, uh, in election year. It, it's, it's, it's baffling. Um, it, it, it gives the appearance to me that, um, Democratic donors have, have raised the white flag on this race that they're not putting their money at whether they because they think that Kevin isn't can't be beat or whether they think the candidates that have decided to run aren't strong enough to take her on. I don't know. That's a question I'd like to explore in the future. But um, but whatever the reason, clearly Democrats aren't putting their money. Um, in this race. And it's just unbelievable. I went back and looked uh, from the this same report four years ago. Um, there was a five-way primary. So first and foremost, even before we get to the dollars, there was five people running to face Ken Reynolds. Three of them raised more than a million dollars in that year. Um, now, one of them was Fred Hubble, who did a lot of self-funding. But you still had two other candidates who raised a million dollars. Kathy Glossin, or, uh Andy McGuire, raised around 600000 um, and even John Norris raised around 300000 So Deidre Deshir didn't raise as much as any of the five candidates in that primary four years ago. It's, it's just incredible.
0: Todd, do Democrats have to decide pretty quickly whether they're going to mount a challenge against Reynolds either by donating to Deshir or finding a candidate that can go out and raise multi-million dollars or, as Aaron suggested, raise the white flag and sit out the twenty 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 the 2022 race.
2: Yeah, I mean, one one Democrat I talked to used the word catastrophic to describe uh, dezier's fundraising position, and I I don't think that that's wrong. Uh, you know, nothing's you know the only the only poll that counts is on election day, right? <laughs> Thank
0: <laughs> you, Governor Brantstad. I mean, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> and so that's that's a long that's a ways off. But it I think it's I think it's too late for another candidate to emerge. And I don't know who that candidate would be here, Chris Hall, but I don't see him making any definitive moves. Uh, and in fact, you know, I think it was the condition of the state. He had his, he had a photo taken. He was sitting with Desire in the, in the house chamber. So that seemed to indicate to me that maybe he wasn't preparing to take her on in a primary, uh, could be wrong, but I think you know, I think the only chances if Democrats decide to start doing some fundraising and 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 feed this campaign, I don't, I guess I understand why they might give up and raise the white flag, but it's just baffling to me. I mean, this among Democrats, this this our current governor is is just is exceedingly unpopular, and that's to put it mildly. I mean, she is the uh, she's criticized daily by a lot of Democrats on a lot of different issues. Uh, I mean, she's less liked by Democrats than Terry Branstad was, which is hard to believe. And yet, you know, they've got a candidate who, you know, if you, if you talk to Deidre Deer and, and hear about what she wants to do, she's a pretty solid Democratic candidate with progressive ideas and, and should appeal to, the, to folks uh, on the Democratic Party. And yet those two things, anger at the current governor and an equality candidate, and no one's giving her any money. And so then it's then there's all sorts of things that you start thinking about, you know, why is this happening? So <clears throat> I think they're gonna have to get behind year if they wanna have any chance of and this isn't, you know, and this isn't just about winning the governorship. I mean, if they don't if they don't challenge her, she's gonna those millions of dollars are gonna go to the party, they're gonna go into legislative campaigns, they're gonna go into congressional campaigns. I mean, this is this is gonna wreck their chances up and down the ticket if you don't challenge a sitting governor that's raising this much money. So that's the decision they have to make is that they, I mean, are they just going to throw up the the white flag on a lot of these races? I mean, I I think it's not likely they're going to flip a legislative chamber or anything like that anyway, but I mean, how bad do they want this to get? And the worse it gets, the tougher it's going to be next time to raise money. So I think they really need to make some hard choices because this party is a lot deeper in the wilderness than maybe we might have even imagined, and if they take another walloping this year, I don't, I don't, I don't know where they go from here.
0: Yeah, it's um, it would be pretty staggering uh, if they didn't mount a, a challenge in a gubernatorial race. And Amy, as as uh, Todd was saying, you know, Reynolds' millions could flow to other candidates if she doesn't think she needs them um, for her own race. How much impact does that have on those down-ballot races, whether it, it's for attorney general or state legislative races? Um, is this, I mean, could this in a in a perverse way be good news for legislative candidates and candidates like uh, Liz Mathis and Christina Bohannon down in southeast Iowa, um, Democrats who are running against uh, Republican incumbents?
1: I mean, they're going to have to tell themselves that if the, the Democrats aren't fielding a, a candidate that they're, they're funding. Um, Todd's prediction is pretty bleak, but I think he's spot on if, if the Democrats really aren't getting behind DeGer for any number of reasons. Um, then that's really going to be bad. I mean, you really need somebody in an election that's like the head of the party. So if you've got the city election is the mayor on the ballot, then everybody else will come with him. If it's a presidential election, you've got to have somebody for president that's very exciting. And if you don't, you're going to lose a lot of those voters, especially young voters, sometimes voters, whatever. You need somebody like a Dajir to really make the campaign exciting. So far, she hasn't made the campaign exciting. She hasn't been able to to get those donors, and, and it could be for any number of reasons. Um, could this be because she's a Black woman, right? It, things were not saying, you know, kind of thing. Roz Smith indicated that he wasn't getting any sort of looks from donors. Um, he wasn't getting help from the state party. So is this sort of a, a state party internal turmoil happening? I think that's a really interesting um, thing to be exploring this year but i think yeah they definitely need to get behind this because if they don't everybody's going to suffer people aren't going to to turn out to just vote for their um you know senator basically unless all of a sudden you know liz mathis really makes it a a game too but at this point there's got to be a governor candidate at the top of that ticket
0: What I find really interesting is is that, and I think we've talked about this before, that when you talk to uh, Republicans, um, even people close to the governor's campaign, they say that um, they expected the race to be as close or closer than 2018 when she won by, what, two and a half points over Fred Hubble. So they were not expecting a slam dunk this year, Um, and I think... Certainly, we all thought this race was going to be competitive, and yet there we're just seeing a massive lack of interest on the part of, of Democratic donors uh, to be a part of this fight. So, um, you know, it just sort of baffling um, why they why they would give up at this point. Because, I mean, as Todd was saying, DeSouza um, is a, a very you know solid Democrat with some progressive uh, um, ideas. Um, it seems like she would be very appealing um, and, and certainly, uh, you know, Democrats uh, are not going to go out and vote for uh, Kim Reynolds with or without a candidate on their ticket.
2: Maybe these Democratic donors are just looking forward to their flat tax and their retirement income being untaxed and they've just decided to sort of lay low and, you know, yeah, we're progressives, but hey, we we, we like we like the money.
0: Pocketbook issues. Tom, uh, we we saw uh, that Senator Robbie Smith uh, outraised Treasurer Mike Fitzgerald eight to one. Um, And and not to read too much into this, but uh, do longtime Democratic office holders like Fitzgerald and Attorney General Tom Miller, the longest serving uh, attorney general in U.S. history. um, Do do they have to worry uh, that they're not going to be able to compete if Republicans are out there raising money like this? and? if they don't have that, uh, you know, figurehead at the top of the ticket that, that Amy was talking about to rally the Democrats to go to the polls.
3: So the fundraising disparity definitely puts Democrats in a difficult place as they move into to the heat um, of an election year. Um, does that mean that they face losses? Um, I think it's too early to say, um, but, um, but you're right. You know, w- without that figurehead at the top of the ticket, um, you know, energizing Democrats and donors. Um, you know, w- without a, a strong candidate running for governor, it does certainly make it hard for, um, as as you mentioned, those down ballot candidates. But um, I think especially um, in for those for those office holders, um, you know, running for offices like um, attorney general and state treasurer um, offices that um you know don't get a lot of high visibility um among among iowans and voters um you know they're they're um their offices positions that you know um iowans don't think about um for the most part um and you know um offices where yeah you you rely on that energy and the momentum at the top of the ticket um to to generate you know interest for for the campaign Um, so that's, that's going to be incredibly difficult. It's going to be an uphill, um, battle. Um, but, um, you know, and Republicans will say that the disparity is, um, is evidence that, um, you know, the political momentum is largely on the side of, 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 of the GOP as they continue to expand the battlefield of competitive races. But as you mentioned, you know, both, uh, Miller and Fitzgerald have quite a bit of staying power and, and popularity in the state you know they're both the nation's longest serving office holders for their respective office um, and and so I guess you can you know you can you can raise the question of well you know is it just early on in the race and they haven't thought about fundraising and they've got you know um, a, a, a you know extensive Donor network, or, or you know, wealthy donors, including maybe potential national donors, that you know they can they can tap here um, as we you know get later on into the, into the campaign cycle. I, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's it's too early to tell, but it's definitely it's it's definitely worrisome. I think it's definitely concerning for for both.
0: Yeah, it, Miller and uh, Fitzgerald haven't had real strong challengers, challengers in recent in elections, past. so they. I think I saw that uh, um, Smith raised more money than uh, Fitzgerald had raised in 10 years, which I think speaks to the sort of the competition that he's faced. And, but no disrespect to either Miller or Fitzgerald, but I don't know that people go to the polls to you know to vote for either one of them. I think they go to vote for governor or senator or, or their right. legislator or something, and, and those statewide offices uh, are sort of, oh, oh yeah, in other news um aaron uh we also saw fundraising numbers from legislative leaders and um, uh, both Senator Jack Whitver and House Speaker uh Pat Grassley pulled in some fairly progress uh impressive numbers uh and much larger numbers than their democratic counterparts how How significant are these
4: differences? Yeah, they weren't thirteen times bigger <laughs> like the Given the governor's race numbers. Um, so it wasn't that bad. Uh, that's the good news um, for Democrats. Um, but, uh, you know, Jack Whitfer raised more than half a million. And um, as we know, he's planning a move into an, a newer, safer district. Um, so he won't have to spend very much of that on himself, too. So it's kind of a double bonus there. Um, if he had stayed, he would have had a much more competitive race Is that Ankeny district gets a, a little more um kind of evenly divided politically so he would have had to have put some resources into his own race he'll have to do much less of that now so he can use the vast majority of that uh, half a million haul uh to help out his fellow Senate Republicans uh cling to their 30 to 18 uh or was 32 to 18 majority um and then in the uh house um uh, Pat Grassley raised almost four hundred thousand and and Jennifer Confer's just a little more than a hundred thousand so again a, a, a big advantage um, there as well um, now the, the state parties play into this too and the Iowa Democratic Party had a decent year um, actually the Republicans so they'll be able to help out um, um, there although you know their their interests are a little more split you know they'll be trying to help out races at all levels Um um, so yeah, so I mean, it was it wasn't as bad as what we saw in the uh, governor's field, um, uh, but they've got some ground to cover up in, at, at that legislative level too. But as one uh, uh, Democratic uh, um, staffer told me from the state house, it's okay because they're scrappy. Scrappy, so. okay,
2: well. That's worked out in the past. Scrappy Democrats.
1: 8,000 uh, 8, can wait. buy a lot of Facebook ads these days. So. Wait, yeah. they're,
2: the, they're, they're the worst character on Scooby Doo? Is that what they're <laughs> saying? Or is, that, is that something different? <laughs> oh, man. Let me at uh, him. Let me at <laughs> him.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of let me at him, uh, that was what <laughs> the Democrats were saying this week when uh, First District Representative Ashley Hinson. Um, Announced she had worked with Senator Chuck Grassley and Illinois Democratic Representative Sherry Bustos to get the Army Corps of Engineers to prioritize $829 million in improvements to the Mississippi River locks and dams. Uh, Some of these facilities are 80 or more years old. So, Tom, it seems like this would be a really big deal. Why are... Democrats so upset with the announcement.
3: So while Henson worked with a bipartisan group of lawmakers to advocate for the money, the Republican freshman legislator not only voted against the infrastructure bill that made the funding funding possible for the lock and dam projects, for which she touted and and seemingly took credit for this week on social media, Um, but she also uh, slammed it as uh, Washington gainsmanship when it passed. Um, In a November news release, Henson said that, uh, quote, too often in Washington, the potential for important... Bipartisan policy is torpedoed by partisan politics. The need to make meaningful investment in our nation's uh, real infrastructure, roads and bridges, locks and dams and broadbands was sacrificed to advance a partisan socialist spending spree. Um, and so Democrats have called out Henson, who's up for re-election in November, uh, for her attempt to, to take credit for the much needed investment and uh, for misleading Iowans. Uh, Democrat Liz Mathis, who's running against Henson, said that uh, her social media post um, calling the announced uh, funding, quote, game changing, and uh, quote, for Iowa's um, agricultural industry and Mississippi River communities, uh, quote, is yet another example of Ashley Henson claiming that she supports investments that benefit Iowans, but voting along party lines against the best or voting along party lines against their best interests in Washington
0: someone uh, explained this to me um with this analogy they they said this is like you and your friends going out for pizza and uh you want uh pepperoni but the your three friends decide they want sausage but since you've you've paid for the pizza you're still going to eat your share of the pizza um, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know if that uh, if the pizza analogy flies or not, but uh, Todd, I don't,
1: know, uh, I, I don't get it. <laughs> did they get sausage <laughs> or did they get pepperoni? <laughs>
0: Do half and half or oh, whatever okay. quarters? Right. Yeah, but uh,
2: <laughs> was it a breakfast pizza? That's I mean you know, crazy
0: uh todd are the statements by Henson and her democratic detractors um what joe biden might call hyperbole on the hypocrisy river
2: well i tell you i mean it wasn't just you know for one thing it wasn't just that that Henson voted against the bill it was it was the sort of the disingenuous argument she made at the time for not supporting it because a lot of republicans tried to to latch the uh Infrastructure bill to the Build Back Better bill and say the whole thing was a socialist spending spree, but as we now know, Build Back Better didn't pass, and the money is being handed out from the infrastructure bill, uh, and and so that that whole argument that this was a big you know scam didn't hold water, and now she's you know trying to take credit for these sort of <clears throat> extra processes, but the bottom line is she made a political calculation voted against the bill she had to know that there was going to be consequences for that and and we saw that those were the consequences that that kind of came home to roost this week and and i mean it you know there's there's a the largest the larger segment of the republicans in the in the, in congress have decided that you know approving anything like this whether that be broken up into smaller bills or big bills or whatever, uh, the the most important thing is to not let the president have a victory. So that's what they're that's what they're doing. And they also saw what happened to the 13 House Republicans that voted for the infrastructure bill. They they had to take a a Trumpian backlash from the former president, and I think one of them even got some some death threats. So. Uh, yeah it's, it's 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 we're not under normal circumstances where you look at a bill and say oh this is good for my district Republicans have to make these calculations okay am I gonna upset the base am I gonna you know how is this going to play out but and she's trying to have it both ways but you just in the end you just you just sort of can't
0: well if you can fool the voters you
2: can <laughs> yeah if that's yeah if you can if you can fool your voters i, su- I suppose that's true but
0: Many politicians have been successful at doing that.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's not new. This was, you know, this was a particularly egregious example, but yeah, it's it's not it's not new.
0: And when it happens again, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette dot com. Don't forget the work of everyone you heard today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. The Olympics will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, set us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, Tom, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well.